to Season 2, Episode 3 of Coral Kelpin Community. Today I have the pleasure of going down under and talking with Josh, CEO of Surfers for Climate. It all started when... An amazing woman and an amazing man coming together to work on something together. And um, so the, the original um, story of Surfers for Climate was... Um, Belinda Bags, who's a, um, who's, I, I mean, I regard her as one of the best, most graceful longboard riders in the world. Amazing woman, um, beautiful surfer, beautiful human. Um, she's a, a Patagonia global surf activist. So she, she does a lot of campaigning through Patagonia and she's a professional surfer, you could say, um, herself and a really lovely guy named Johnny Abeg, who, um, he was a, an aspiring professional surfer as well, but also a filmmaker and a writer. Um, they um, met up uh, by chance at a retreat that happened on the Great Barrier Reef at a place called Heron Island. Um, and it, Heron Island is this fantastic place that um, turtles come to shore and um, bury their eggs to hatch later. It's a really pristine, beautiful place. There's like a lot of research that happens there. Um, so they, they went there for a climate retreat. So they, they were amongst a cohort of about, I think it was about 30 or 40 people who went to Heron Island to learn about climate change, learn about its impacts, what's coming, what's the deal, what can I do about it? And um, after it, both of them kind of had the same idea to form an organisation that would engage the surfing community on this issue of climate. At the same time, there'd been the first ever like mass movement of surfers protesting against an oil and gas project in the southern um, waters of the of South Australia in a place called the Great Australian Bight. Um, this kind of activism became known as the fight for the bight, and it was the first time, and it really was like it was shocking positively to see so many surfers show up and and kind of show that they didn't want this to happen all around Australia. It was phenomenal. But a lot of that was driven by oil spill risk, um, by the risk of pollution to their beaches. So it tapped in like quite well to that localism and that defense of your beach because you, the first thing you know about a surfer is that they will fight for their beach because um, they, they love it so much and they may think they own it too. Um, <laughs> so the, the beauty of that is that if there is a real and tangible threat, surfers will show up and that's a really beautiful thing. Um, but that link to climate wasn't fully formed in that, in that movement. And so Surfers for Climate was formed um, off the back of that and during this climate immersion by two great people. Um, and, it, and it was formed so that education could take place with surfing communities, help them understand the issue of climate, how it relates to the ocean and how that um, what threats that poses to our waves and trying to build a movement that could actually um, advocate for stronger climate policy in Australia. And so that's where it started. Um, and that's about two and a half, three years ago now. Um, it was formed kind of into the COVID pandemic. So not a lot of action took place in those that, that first year. But once we all kind of started to come out of our caves, um, there was some action we could actually get moving and engage the the communities and and i and i came in as the um as the operations and development manager first of all in the middle of 2021 and then i was ceo and and have grown the team since then so it's um yeah it's been a really thrilling ride and um it's a challenging ride though like it's um surfers are interesting creatures um they they are 
you know, there's a, it's a very diverse community. It's not, and that's a positive, I think like, and celebrating that diversity in surfing is actually the superpower of it. Um, and, and that includes like recognizing that, you know, not everyone is riding a short board with three fins in the bottom of it and are a white male. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's one really important thing to recognize early on. There's a whole broad church of people who enjoy wave riding um, and they ride boogie boards, they ride knee boards, sups, they body surf, they ride long boards, they ride short boards and they are represented ethnically, socially, um, in gender diversity. It's a very broad church. And um, yeah, the, the more we can realize that, the stronger it'll be. And that's what Surfers for Climate, um, you know, seeks to do. We seek to nourish those sea roots of a movement and trying to make sure that these takeoff points that we have so that everyone can find their way into um, this advocacy work that we're doing. And once we build that movement, we work with the political system to try and get stronger policies so that we can protect our ocean and, um, you know, help us avoid the worst consequences of a warming climate. What a great way to get people involved. I mean, it. I understand like the the localism aspect is really interesting because it, it is a double-edged sword in a way sometimes. Um, yeah. But for this type of movement, you know, I, I think in a way for climate in particular, because it is this global existential crisis, sometimes it's good to localize it because it really brings it home. It makes it tangible. Um, even if someone thinks they own the beach, but you know, it's still, it, it gets people to feel it more because it's not happening over there. Yeah. It's here too. Um, and so, so Surfers for Climate is relatively young still, yeah. right? Um, given how young the organization is, I don't know how easy this question will be to answer, but I'm wondering if you're looking back on all of the work you've done so far, mm -hmm. um, what was one of like your standout moments, a favorite moment, a time where you were like, this is making a legitimate difference. Mm, sure. I'm really lucky that we, we have had one of those standout moments and I don't think everyone gets to have those. Um, it, you know, wins are rare in the environmental movement, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but I think the work that we did to engage um, a number of politicians from the conservative side of politics in New South Wales to introduce legislation into the parliament to ban offshore sea mining in, in the coastal waters of New South Wales was, um, it doesn't solve every problem, by the way, with the threats from fossil fuels in our ocean, but it was something that really culminated, um, you know, it was two years of work. It was the culmination of two years of work of like nourishing positive relationships, um, engaging with politicians who typically don't get engaged on environment. Conservative politicians around the world, they get a, they like some of them are anti-progress for sure. There are some ones out there that do not care about climate change and who are more than happy for fossil fuel companies to have their way, um, be damned any, any progress on climate. Um, so they exist, but um, there are some great politicians in that space as well who who do care about the climate issue and who are receptive to um, 
opportunities to engage in it and to do something meaningful about it. So we managed to work well with the um, the Liberal and National Party in New South Wales, um, in particular, a number of um, specific members in coastal electorates who had communities that cared about offshore oil and gas expansion off their coast. So, um, yeah, we got that chance to get it into, into the parliament. Um, it's going through a process, this legislation. Um, it's not over the line yet. But just to get that opportunity to bring, you know, to, to, to have conversations with politicians and then actually see them act on that conversation is a remarkable feeling because um, I guess even without the win assured, the nature of this um, legislation and the and the messenger who's delivering it is is interesting in a first of its kind. So to have a conservative party put forward legislation like this is remarkable and 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 it changes the nature of what's possible in Australian politics. And that's this idea. It was explained to me. Um, I can't remember who exactly is the um, who this is named after, but the, the Overton window is this phenomenon of what is possible politically. It's within this window. And when certain um, when certain things happen, the window shifts. So a new normal is created and you can actually achieve new things from that shift. And I think um, what was interesting for me individually to experience was um, when this, um, when the Liberal Party and the National Party came together to endorse this bill and to really push it, the, the window moved in real time. And you, and you kind of, when you live through that and you're conscious of it, it's quite a, a phenomenon because you can speak about something in a way from one week to another that wasn't possible. And it's, it's remarkable. And, and you see, it's almost like there's new connections being made in the brains of people who receive the information and the knowledge of it, that a new possibility is there. And that excites me about politics and about this work. And that's that win that we were able to have, because at the very end of the day, if you don't have all politicians on board, regardless of their ideologies, if they're not on board the issue of climate change and what we need to do, then progress is always going to be a bit of a yo-yo because the one thing we know about politics, regardless of climate change, is that politicians get voted in and they get voted out. And it mm-hmm. doesn't, unless you want a dictatorship where they stay in forever, sure, we can we can go there. <laughs> I, don't I don't think everybody wants that in, our, in where, we, where we come from, but... Um, it's definitely the case that in democracies, political parties come and go, not necessarily because, like, they come and go for many reasons, which may have nothing to do with climate. Um, but what's really good in Australia is that there is an appetite now. Um, there is this race to the top, at least in New South Wales, on climate policy, which is only positive because at the very end of the day, if the major political parties, and I and I guess with you as a Californian, you know, like, um, you know, if you if, if if only every election in America was fought over climate and environmental protection, well, then you'd find that policy would get stronger and better and stronger and better um, if it is one of those top line issues and there is a battle to win votes because of action on climate. So, yeah, it's a really positive thing to be a part of for me. I'm really proud of it. And um, and look, there's so much that goes into that. There's so many people who help along the way. So I'd hate to, I wouldn't frame it as something Josh did it's just I was able to be a part of it 
um, and play a role in it. And um, and that that part is still being played. It's um, kind of happening now still. So it's yeah. been exciting. No, that is um, really amazing. And even though I don't live in Australia, like hearing that the conservative politicians listened to you mm. and were on board with that legislation, like that's a that's a very hopeful thing in a time when there's not a lot of hope. And so it's totally, totally. Like, it's I'm not in the same hemisphere, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Well, you had it before us, though, you know, to be fair, in California, you know, Governor Schwarzenegger was the first kind of um, world leader to talk about climate change, you know, on a, in a big way. Um, Republican, you know, like, so yeah. that was already done before it was done here, you know, and like him or not, I don't know what other policies he did, but, um, you know, there's a there's a track record there for, for him speaking out. And that was pretty remarkable as well at the time, because you wouldn't have found many other Republicans speaking about climate the way he did um back then and i mean that's a while back now too so i feel like you've got a success story there yourself you know about what's possible yeah i mean california definitely has um been a leader on environmental issues for a while and i was an intern um while i was in law school and one of my supervisors uh made, made like this little joke of like you know California is the mitochondria of the United States <laughs> like, because our con like the California economy is huge. It's like the fifth yeah. largest in the it's world. In the world. Yeah. It's like on par with, you know, France. Um, and, and she's like, look, you know, if, if, when California gets legislation done, as goes California, so goes the country mm. because all the other companies, like if it's a plastic issue or, um, you know, a, a shipping issue or whatever across state lines, because um, they're all pretending to be one country, uh, like, then all of the companies are going to meet the California standard sure. across sure. the board, because it's cheaper than doing it differently in all 50 states. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, that type, like that type of movement is exciting. And um, I don't know how how the different are they territories in Australia? We've got states and territories. Okay. So yeah, we have a little mix of both. But um each state does have its own power as well. And I, and and what is interesting with this legislation and to me, like this idea that a state could legislate for its own coastline was kind of a, a learning um and an experience for me out of COVID. Um, because what we found in um Australia, which really shocked everyone, was that the states actually had control to shut down borders um, to stop people moving between states freely because of COVID. So it was actually quite an interesting experience because you were suddenly like made acutely aware that the New South Wales um, state had a lot of power. And for me, there's a big learning out of that. So for me, like if there is no leadership on the federal level, which is much the same in the US, right? Like if you've got, um, regardless, Biden or Trump or whoever else, I wish it would be someone else, by the way, on either side. I, I'm really looking for someone younger than 70 running for politics <laughs> in America for the big job. That'd be a revelation again. But, like, um, you, if you're not getting the action on the federal level, you can see that the states have the power to actually lead the country, much as what um, California has done in the past and can continue to do so. So, 
no, it's a it's interesting in Australia. We do have a lot of power in our state levels for sure. I'm wondering now, so because of that, in the US, there's the Federal uh, Coastal Zone Management Act. Mm -hmm. And then each coastal state has to um, create their own plan to meet it. And yeah. they get, you know, funding, federal funding if they if they meet the requirements and and then like each little county has its own thing, right? Um, oh. But you can do, uh, yeah, it, it gets a little, it gets a little, yeah, <laughs> divided a lot. Um, but you can really do a lot to push progress, um, like New South Wales being able to control what happens off of its own coast is mm. pretty awesome. Do you know if that's um like the the territorial sea or all the yeah, way out so, like how much control does the state have exactly, yeah well, this, i'm so curious <laughs> big question of this legislation specifically is that um what can a state do in its own waters and what can it do knowing that it will affect decisions made in the federal or commonwealth waters mm -hmm. that we have further out so the state waters um i, I may bloody get this wrong but it's about three kilometers or three nautical miles off the shore. Mm -hmm. um, and so after the state waters, then you've got the Commonwealth waters, which in reality, most of the oil and gas activity that would take place in Australia would happen in those waters. What we, and what this legislation, when it was introduced to the parliament did though, it legislated on the state waters. So that's the three kilometer threshold. So, okay, cool, that's good. But what it also said was, it couldn't no infrastructure could be laid like pipelines through the state waters to service oil and gas activities off in the commonwealth waters so that's where the where the trick is because you start to you start to mess with the economics of a project because if they're assuming that they are going to um, pipe the oil and gas um, to the shore and then process it on you know with a certain um, facility on the shore well then if you're not allowed to lay that that pipeline, your whole economic rationale around the project to begin with gets kind of skewed. Um, so that that's why it's special. Um, and we're, you know, like it's, you know, just kind of like, I, I guess like it, the reason why I like it is because I just like winning and I don't care how. Um, it doesn't have to, like it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be the way that we all imagined it to be. It might just be rendering a project uneconomical and then that just becomes a thing of the past to explore such things. It's kind of the same as like there's legislation in place already that makes it uneconomical to start a cigarette company, probably. You know, like we've got I legislation. Hope so. in place. You know, I hope so. But you know what I mean? Like there's lots of things in life that you just wouldn't start doing because you know it wouldn't work. And so maybe that's a, a method for doing something about oil and gas projects is that if we just make them uneconomical, through legislation and through kind of bureaucracy, um, that'd be kind of nice. Who cares yeah. as long as it's done? Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole other um, approach to making the system work for you. Like we well, can. It's the other one we've got, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's the truth, right? Like we can we can work on systemic change, which is obviously great. Like I wish Australia would become a republic. I wish we could change the system and become a republic. I think it's absurd that we've got this connection to the monarchy. Um, you, you Americans got rid of the 
the king or queen, whoever it was, ages ago. What a great idea. Get rid of them. Um, they're nice people, but, you know, and we don't have to have a violent conflict to achieve it, but I'd love to change the system and I'd love for us to explore what type of democracy we could have that's different from the one we have today. Um, I'd love it if we could do away with the states and territories and recognise the traditional country boundaries of the First Nations people that lived here before. I would love that. That would be a, a utopia almost to me. It'd be like the best outcome ever, but that's not the world that I live in today. And so if I'm trying to do something about climate and I'm trying to do something about environmental protection, you have to be realistic about what's possible within the framework that we've been given. So it's on us. Um, it's on us to work within this system to change the system ultimately and try and get the wins we can with the system we've got. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's such a good way to mention that or to talk about that. Like we can have the long-term goals of creating a more holistic system, a more holistic, you know, perspective on the world and on life. Uh, but until we can get there, like we still have to do what we, what we can do so that we can live long enough to get there. And For sure. make, you know, whether it's making oil and gas uneconomical or, you know, like using bureaucracy to our advantage, like we, it comes from both sides, you know, you have to work with the system that you have. I mean, unless you just go full revolution and overthrow the government, which is like, you know, I just think everyone's too distracted for that. Anyway, there's too much social media Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have done a number on us for that. I just don't think anyone would revolt on numbers that would be consequential enough. Like it's, I think, and look, I say that in jest, a lot of people, like there's a stability in this system that we have as well for most people middle class people are now more worried about their mortgage they're worried about their electricity bills they're worried about are their kids getting a good education uh is there a good hospital nearby like these are real concerns for families and that's that's who we want to get on board this issue so I don't think a family member is really up for a revolution in, in at least the democracies that we live in right now. Um, other places, there's real struggle and tyranny um, that that people simply have to respond to that. And that's, uh, I, I, I feel lucky that I don't have to respond to that. Um, there's lots of inequality in Australia, mind you, like it's not a perfect place, but it's a place that, um, that a lot of people just aren't in a revolutionary mindset here. So to wait for revolution is to wait for nothing and to allow the status quo to continue as it is. So the, what's on us as people with a progressive idea of what we can change and what we can make better, not that it's an only a progressive value to do something about climate. Um, it's there for conservative people to engage with too. And that's what I'm learning in Australia. Um, you know, we can't wait for revolution. We've got to work with the system that we've got and do the best we can. Yeah. And, and I should make clear to all the listeners, I was not advocating to overthrow the government. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a cool idea. Like, yeah, how nice is that? Be? But like, yeah, not happening. Well, I mean, uh, there is 
you know, a lot of things happening in the US right now around January 6th. So I just want to be yeah. clear, I was not saying let's overthrow the government. It was it was injustice. Like, eh? That's time. not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a uh, I mean, I think I, I often go back and forth on like, well, when I was in school, which I'm, I'm still currently in school, um, but I realized I was always looking for the best way to change that system, right? Like, do I work in the system? Do I work outside of the system? Like, how, like, what's the best way to go? And, I'm, and now I'm like, there is no best way. It has to be both sides. And I think, you know, Surfers for Climate is a really good example of both, right? Um, so I guess what, um, on that, on that high note of having achieved something so amazing, how can listeners be involved? Look, um, I, I asked this question of someone else recently, and I think it's really important that people recognize their own superpowers, you know, first and foremost, like ask themselves the question, what am I good at and what can I contribute to this cause? And the second thing is, what don't I know about it? And, and so, and what, you know, if you don't know about the issue in depth, um, you can't really see yourself within it. So, um, go on a learning journey first and foremost, and that's what we try and provide as much as anything is that learning journey. Um, you know, every nonprofit always has to say, you can donate to us and that will help us a lot. Like that's of course a part of the um, the way that we do our work and fund our work through, you know, philanthropic donations, micro donations, um, you know, it's, it's part of that work. So if you're too busy to do the work and do the research, give us your money and we'll do it for <laughs> you. That's one way to do it. Um, the other thing is to, um, you know, you can volunteer with organizations, you can show up to events like we do a lot of different events and experiences that engage surfing communities. So I think like uh, much in the same that a lot of people in the US are kind of small business, you know, a lot of people have their own small business. I think a lot of them often, um, I think there's this phenomenon as well that a lot of people are kind of waiting to get rich before they do philanthropy. And I think one thing that we can all do is actually see ourselves as micro philanthropists. If we're running a business, the tax system often does reward you for giving to causes and you can write that off in your tax, which a lot of people in business don't really think about in the early stages. So look, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, financial support of surface for climate is one thing, reaching out and, and, and seeing what you can do in your local community is another. Um, but I think, Ultimately, it comes down to, you know, how, how we change the world is by recognizing what we're good at and how we put those those superpowers to work for the cause. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Just care. Just care. Care and do your research. I love it. Have you seen, um, there's a TED Talk by Dr. Iona Elizabeth Johnson, who I have a huge career crush on. Okay. Um, and it's, it's basically all about finding your climate, like superpower. Oh, what's her advice? I, I should take it. It's, it's, it's really similar to what you just said, which is why I thought of it. Like you think about what you're good at, what you can do, yeah. like you needs. And she like had this cool Venn diagram, um, 
on the Venn diagrams help, don't they? On the projector, yeah. The revelation for me when I was at university, I went to a sustainability class and it was one of the most profound moments in my learnings was that um, the lecturer um, brought together all of these different um, individuals for a panel discussion and each of them represented a different aspect of environmentalism. So one person was in business, the other person was doing advocacy, another was doing activism, another one was in politics. And the message of the day was, we're all doing the work here. One of us is wearing a suit. One of us is stopping a train full of coal, getting to the port. So there's lots of ways that you can kind of be involved. And I think like, that's what the world needs. We need everyone to kind of, oh, sorry, that's an ambulance flying by. Um, everybody needs to see themselves in the movement somehow. And it's best just to look in the mirror first and go, hey, who am I? What am I good at? What can I contribute? And then get on with it. Um, and just don't wait to be perfect to get started. I think that's the other trap. A lot of people are um, still worried about their individual carbon footprint and taking the whole weight of the bloody world on their shoulders so that they can be oh. a good guy or a good girl. It's like, just get over it. No one's perfect. The system is full of fossil fuels. We need to change the system. We can use fossil fuels to get rid of fossil fuels. Just get started. Don't wait to be perfect. Oh my God, I love that you just said we can use fossil fuels to get rid of fossil okay. fuels. That, like, that makes me so happy because we kind of don't have a choice. We don't. And that, like, like, because that is the system. Mm. And it, it always drives me crazy when people try to attack other environmentalists for not being perfect. And I'm like, it is impossible to be mm. perfect. <laughs> like they're doing the best they can. Like people made fun of, um, there was uh, a few years ago, uh, this oil ship, I think it was from Shell, wanted to dock or whatever it's called in Portland, Oregon. And a bunch of people came on kayaks and other things to block it. Yep. And the media made fun of them for using plastic, which is petroleum based, right? And look, it's an easy, it's an easy um, criticism. But I think like at the end of the day, like the, the real trick is um, no one ever wants to be called out as a hypocrite. We want it all, um, we want our words uh, our deeds to match our words. And I think yeah. that's the trick. Like you have to let go of that if you're going to function in this space, because you will not be perfect. You will, you will have dirt on you from the very beginning. And if you're worried about that dirt and what people think about you, you're going to fail. So you have to, um, you have to let go a little bit and be willing for, you know, idiots to try and call you out because they are idiots. Uh, and I think, a lot of them are um, doing it because they don't want to be challenged to change their lives. Um, not that, not that that's really what we're asking. We're just asking that people vote for the change and embrace um, a cleaner future, which can benefit everyone. So the idea that the world, cause you know, I, I guess the question I would ask of someone who's criticizing or, or, or kind of defending fossil fuels is to say, well, is the world perfect as it is today with fossil fuels? Like, cause there's a lot of problems going on here. Like there's, 
Well, there's definitely a problem going on outside. I was just going to say, prime example, whatever's happening yeah. outside your window. Hopefully I hope bad. everyone's okay. Yes, hope someone's all right. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely like this thing that um, you have to, you have to, I'm not saying to have a thick skin, you kind of just have to not give a fuck about what people think. And if you do, no. you're not going to really be able to do this. So yeah, walk proudly forward and do good things. And if you've got to use a car with petrol, get on with it. Don't, don't fuss. Yeah. I mean, what, honestly, the thing that really helped me get over it the most, um, I picked up this book called, uh, a field guide to climate anxiety. Oh, and I almost didn't pick it up because I thought the title was a little, a little too cheesy. Mm. Um, but I was like, no, I should read this. <laughs> And a few pages in, it pointed out, the author, she pointed out that um, the term carbon footprint mm. was coined by British Petroleum. And yeah. they were the first ones to put your carbon calculator online because mm. they want you focused on yourself as an yep. individual. Because if you're busy freaking out about what you buy at the grocery store or how you get around town mm. as an individual, then you're not engaged in systemic change. You're not trying to change policy because you're too focused on yourself. Mm. And, you know, like on the one hand, people think that they can only control their own actions, which is kind of true, but also kind of not because you're in this system you didn't create. Mm. Like, I've lived places where I really wanted to take public transit because it's better for the environment, obviously, but I could not because it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't have the time, you know, like it, I couldn't use it or it didn't go where I needed to go. Right. Mm. And that's a systemic issue. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to afford a car and I had to do, I had to have the car so that I could have the job. Mm. Right. And a lot of people face those kinds of situations. And so there's a certain amount of like blaming of yourself and shame that you can't live up to your own ideals, but this world doesn't let you. Mm. And so getting over that and being like, oh, they're afraid of me. That's why they want me focused on whether or not I'm eating meat or riding a bike everywhere. Like mm -hmm. they want focused on you totally totally yeah because together yeah. we're scary because yeah. we do things like what surfers for climate just achieved you mm. get conservatives to put forth amazing legislation yeah and they do it themselves as well it's it's it, you know a lot of it is common sense but yeah and, and ultimately at the end of the day you know like the way our system works is changing legislation a lot of people like to say that um, the power of business to solve everything. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, businesses only do what they're permitted to do by governments, which is what I want. I don't want businesses to be writing the rules. Um, so, yeah, I think it's um, it's a really interesting moment we're in. And, I look, I'm just thrilled to to be a part of it and do what I can with the, with the you know, the small amount of power I've got to do something good. It's, um, yeah, it's a thrill. Well, it has been a pleasure speaking with you and, and you hearing about the success um 
I'm so excited to know that Surfers for Climate exists and hopefully one day there'll be branches all over the world. <laughs> I'm an ambitious guy, so stay tuned. Okay. <laughs>